going to pick up in our study. We've been going through the book of Galatians. We find ourselves kind of right there in the midst of chapter 2. Um, we, are in the, we live in a world where uh, we're constantly being told uh, we need to update, upgrade, or replace things in our lives, right? And, and there, there are some things in our life that do not need to be updated, upgraded, or replaced. And namely, as we've been looking at, the gospel of Jesus Christ does not need to be updated, upgraded, certainly not replaced. It is complete, it is sufficient, it is effective, don't touch it, tweak it, dilute it. Its power is in its unaltered message. No updates needed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And as we go through our series, looking through the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to a group of churches that exists within an area of Asia Minor known as Galatia. And these churches that many of which were birthed by the apostle Paul in hearing the message of the gospel of grace, they were starting to get infiltrated by false teachers that were causing them to get their eyes off of the grace of the gospel and returning back to the works of the law. Certain Jews were seeing Gentiles come to faith in Christ, and they were saying that before a Gentile could come to Christ, they needed to become a Jew first. And the way in which they can do that outwardly would be to become circumcised. Because to be circumcised was an outward expression of your embracing of Judaism. And so what they were teaching in those churches was that in order to become a Christian, you first had to become a Jew, and it was mixing up and messing up the gospel of grace. It was causing division, it was causing confusion, and it was causing a departure from the true essence of what the gospel is. And Paul is sounding the alarm to these churches that were mingling in to this gospel of grace message in saying that they, 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 there's, there's only one way, and men cannot earn it. There's no way that the, that the law has the power and the ability to save. It is only by the grace of God. We saw how conflict resulted as a, in, in, within the churches. We see Paul, the, uh, the great freedom fighter, right? That regardless of, of popular opinion or hurt feelings, Paul would not compromise on his communicating of the gospel of grace, even when he needed to stand in front of the apostle Peter face to face and call him out on the, on the carpet for what Paul called the apostle Peter's hypocrisy because the apostle Peter would, would eat with the Greeks who were not circumcised, but the moment that those Jews who thought the Greeks should be circumcised entered the, air, the, the room, the apostle Peter would back off so as not to associate. And the apostle Paul, we see in Galatians chapter two and verse one, 11, he says, but when Peter or Cephas came to Antioch, he said, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And so we see a major, a showdown, if you will, between the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. 
it highlights, I love the fact that it's actually, that this was captured for us to, to see because it highlights that regardless of somebody's place or position or popularity, nobody is above correction. Nobody's opinion has, has uh, the grounds to change what is true. And so Paul, Paul calls Peter on the carpet. You can almost imagine what that must have been like. He says in verse 14 of chapter two, he says, but when I saw that their conduct, speaking of Peter and those who were with him, when I saw that their conduct, their hypocrisy, was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul publicly confronts the apostle Peter. I'm sure you could hear a pin drop as it hit that dusty road, as those onlookers saw these two spiritual giants. But Paul was appealing to truth, Paul was appealing to the gospel, and that regardless of the cost, regardless of the way in which those words were gonna be accepted, Paul stood his ground. That's where we left off last week, and it's where we pick up today. Paul is demonstrating that, that man is not, cannot, will never be justified by the works of the law, but rather by faith in God, by the grace of God, God's unearned favor. We pick up in verse 15 of chapter two. Paul writes, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Again, it's important to remember who the audience is that Paul is writing to. He's speaking to Jews who had heard time and time again all throughout their, their childhood, all throughout their young adult years, all throughout their, their religious journey, if you will, that they needed to adhere to the law. Even the apostle Paul, prior to coming to faith, was a strict adherer to the law. And now here comes the apostle Paul, now the former persecutor of the church, speaking to that same audience and saying that the works of the law are not able to keep or just or able to justify a man before God. This is extremely applicable to, to where we're at today. I mean, none of us kind of wake up in our day and think, all right, today I'm going to look to, you know, fulfill the law of God, right? And, and you jump in and you look at all 633 of these things, hoping that you might just be able, we don't do that, but what we do do is you also, we, we tend to judge ourselves by our actions and not by who we are in Christ. We tend to judge others by their actions and not by who they are and what Christ has done for them. You see, too many times we recognize, and, I, and if I asked you to raise your hand, I'm sure many of you would, you raise your hand and say, yeah, I was saved by grace. I did nothing to do to earn my salvation. We get that, but the moment that we 
we detour. The moment that we fall back, the moment that we have a, a slip up, and, and listen, if that rocks your world, listen, that, that's just the reality of our journey. So many times there's ups and downs and, and mishaps all along the way, and we're not justifying that or celebrating that, but can we just agree that that's reality sometimes? Right? It's not about our perfection. It's our direction, and we're kind of we're moving in a direction, but sometimes... My flesh gets in the way. Sometimes my own, my old nature kind of informs my new nature in the wrong kind of way, and I respond in a way that's inconsistent. And what ends up happening, and maybe not to you, but to some people out there in, in the real world, what's, what ends up happening sometimes is you start to think, well, I must be a loser. God must be done with me. And it, and it begins a spiral further and further from God because what we end up thinking is, and again, we never verbalize it, but our actions certainly do, is, is if, if, I, if I mess up over here, then what's the use? I might as well just throw in the towel. I started by grace, but somehow, some way, I thought that if I didn't hit all the check boxes, that God didn't really love me, certainly not as much as he loves so-and-so. And you see, we, we allow our works, whether they be good works or bad works, to influence the way we see ourselves and the way we think God sees us, whether it's in those areas of failure or in those areas of success. Did you see me today? Did you see how humble? I was. I can't imagine anybody serving like that. If they only knew how much I read my Bible, how eloquent my prayers. And we, we oftentimes judge ourselves by ourselves. What are we doing? It's a return back to this works salvation. And so this has a lot to do with where we're at today because how I feel and how I see myself oftentimes will inform the way I live my life. If I'm, if I'm doing well, then I feel like I've got the, the star of God on the refrigerator of my life and everything is going well, but the moment I crash and burn, I feel like God is just done with me and it creates this roller coaster Christianity that we're up and down again. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not, and I'm here to tell you today, he loves you. That your standing before God has nothing to do with what you do. Your standing before God has everything to do with what Christ has done for you. And to the degree that you understand that and embrace that, it will inform what you do. It will inform the way you live your life. And so Paul is dealing with this issue. And he makes it clear that by the work of the law, no one will be justified. No religious efforts. You know, many of you may have come out of a religious system. I won't mention, yeah, well, it's Catholic. Many of you have come out of a Catholic system, right? And I'm not judging Catholics, I, I, you know, but, but I will judge that doctrine. And many of you have come out of that system that said, you know what? You need to be baptized. 
right? You need to receive communion and then confirmation and then confession and you need to go through the sacraments and as long as you did what the church said you're supposed to do, the church would give you the grace that you need in order to be saved. And so your salvation wasn't dependent on what Christ has done. Your salvation was tied to the church giving you what you need and I want to tell you that is false doctrine. It does not save. They do not have the power. I do not have the power. Nobody has the power to grant salvation to you. Christ has secured it for you on the cross of Calvary. And the moment we see ourselves as being the ones who have to put this in motion, then everything in our life becomes performance oriented. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. That's not permission to get sloppy. That's not permission to sin. That's not permission to be loose on sin or lighter on sin. Anybody who knows me knows that's not, not about that at all. But I want to elevate the grace of God because when we recognize the grace of God that has saved us, when we recognize the love of God that, that, that holds us tight, we won't want to sin. We won't want to sin. By the works of the Lord and the law, no one will be justified, but justification is possible. The law is insufficient, but there is a way. There is a way, and Paul begins to logically pick apart some of their thinking. He says, but if, verse 17, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? He says, certainly not. In other words, listen, if we've embraced grace, if we've embraced Christ, and we find ourselves failing in an area of sin, does that mean that Jesus condones sin? Does it mean that Jesus is, 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 a, is a servant of sin? He says, certainly not. It's important for us to understand this because our, justi our justification before God is a positional reality, not a performance reality. And you see, if I, if I think that my salvation is dependent on my ability to keep it, you're gonna send yourself down an exhausting, unfun spiritual journey and you're gonna hit a wall every single time. How do I know that? Because I tried that, and it doesn't work. Your justification before God, and this is such an important truth for a Christian to understand, that your standing before God, your justification before God, for God is a positional reality and not a performance reality. In other words, you stand not clothed in your own righteousness, thank God. You don't stand there in your good works, thank God. But when God the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of his Son. We stand clothed in his righteousness. And when God sees you, he sees, listen, somebody who is as perfect as they will ever be. Do you realize that you're standing before God? If you've, if you've embraced Christ's work for your life, if you've repented of your sins, if you've asked Christ to be Lord of your life, if you're following hard after Jesus, then you have been given the gift of the righteousness of Christ in your life. And you will never be more perfect than you are 
are right now positionally before God. Everybody say positionally. Because underneath that righteousness of Christ, there's still that person that needs some work, right? And the Holy Spirit is working on us because the things of my old nature, which is no longer alive, it's been dead, I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ, but the problem is I've lived a certain way, I've thought a certain way, I've strategized a certain way, I've employed different ways and different things in my life, and I can go back to that at times, and I try to take the past and bring it to my future, and I hit a wall sometimes. And it's there that the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 that's not gonna work for you. That's not your nature. You're a new nature. Your, your, your new nature is in Christ. Do you ever, as a believer, do you, ever, do you know anybody that, you know, they, they go through a time in their life where they're not living like a Christian? Anybody know anybody like that? Don't, don't shout out their names. I know, you, I know it's not you, but, but if you know somebody like that, right, what's going on? Because what happens is that person is extremely dissatisfied. That person is, they, there's, there's like this angst in the, on the inside that they're just not feeling at peace What's going on on the inside? What's that, that conflict? You know, that, that stirring in your spirit where you're feeling like, I just gotta get, maybe, maybe you're feeling that right now. Maybe, maybe it's just that, that feeling of saying, I just something's just not right between me, me and God. And what, what am I feeling? You're feeling the conflict of, these, of this dead nature and this new nature. You're, you're trying to apply something that was dead into a new nature and it's causing turmoil and lack of peace. And what's going on there is God, Thank you for the Holy Spirit that, that makes us aware of that. It's God saying, that's not you. That's not you. I've got better for you. Don't believe that. Don't live like that. Don't walk around that. Don't hang with that. That's not what I have for you. I've got life for you. I've got joy for you. I've got peace for you. I've got a destiny for you. Don't look back at what you were, but go forward in Jesus Christ. My salvation is not performance oriented. It's positional. I am his son. And while I, and I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And he's got his work cut out for me, for him, in me, right? But positionally, if God were to take my life right now, I'm ready to stand before God. Why? Because I am clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees me, he sees his son. And that's the good news of the gospel. And that's why Paul is being so dogmatic in, in speaking to the church of Galatians, saying no, don't think you need to return back to the law. The law is death, the law is conflict, the law is shame, the law is fear. None of that will bring you to where God has you to be. Don't turn from that. And so we see the passion behind the apostle Paul and the reason for it, because he's saying don't touch the gospel. Don't tweak, don't update. The gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation. He continues in verse 18, he says, look, he says, for if I, be, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. I love that. In other words, if I turn back to the law as a means of justification, it will only demonstrate that I'm a transgressor of the law back where I was prior to Christ. If I, if, if I rebuild that which I tore down, 
it would put me right back in that place of lostness. He says, but he says, look, verse 19, through, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I love this. What he's saying here is the law made me realize that I'm in trouble. The law made me realize I'm stuck. The law made me realize I'm condemned. I'm guilty. I have committed cosmic treason against the judge of the universe. I am as bad off as I possibly can be. The law has condemned me. But when I appealed to Christ, when I see what Christ did for me, that I died to the law so that I might live to God. The law showed me I stood guilty, I stood condemned, so that I might realize my need for God. I don't wanna get ahead of myself, but, 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 but Paul will say later on that the, that the law serves as a tutor. How many of you ever had to have a tutor? All three of you and me. You guys are smart. <laughs> yeah, maybe you needed a tutor, <laughs> right? But what, what a tutor does is a tutor comes in and comes alongside me and helps me to get from where I am to where I need to be. They help me, they point me in the direction that I need to go so that I might succeed. And what Paul will say later on in Galatians is the law serves as a tutor. It comes alongside and says, listen, you're in trouble, but there's a solution, it's Jesus Christ. The law says, yep, you guilty, 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 but here's one solution, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Will you abandon the works of the law and embrace the work of Christ for yourself? The law helps me to realize I'm guilty. It's kind of like driving down the road that doesn't have any speed limits. How do you know if you're past that? How many know if you're you know, guilty of speeding? Right, if the speed limit's 35 but it's not posted anywhere, how do you know you're breaking the law? I want to know when I'm breaking the law. So that when I break the law, at least I know it, right? So that sign is the law, and it reminds me that I've just transgressed God's expectations. And that's what the law does. But you see, here's the thing. People don't want to see their need for God. Deep embedded into the sin nature, there is a defiant posture that says to God, I don't need you, I don't want you. It came from Satan, who's manifested, certainly, we saw that in Adam and Eve, who had their own plan as well, and if we got real honest, we see it in our own lives as well. Now, we don't say that, certainly, but we sure live that way sometimes. We won't say to God, no, 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 my way. We don't say that. We just do it. Everybody said, ouch. Right? You see, man doesn't want to see himself as a sinner in the need of a savior. Man is a sinner both by nature and by choice. We're sinners by nature because of the sin of Adam that was passed down through humanity. And man is born a sinner by nature. They're born that way. Anybody have to teach their children how to sin? Nope. They nailed that really early on in life, and so did I. Nobody had to teach me how to sin. I did it, and I did it well. I've got this, this, this um, 
this video that pops up every year on Facebook. It's, you know, you know how they have like the reminder videos, like, you know, a year ago, and this one just keeps popping up. I love it. I don't want to embarrass my son Gabriel, but I'm about to. Um, Gabriel's about three years old at this point, and the video is a picture. I'm videoing him, and it's in the morning, and he is smothered in chocolate all over his face. How many have seen that video on my feed, right? And he's smothered in chocolate. And in the video, I said to him, now, Gabriel, I'm going to ask you one more time. Did you eat that chocolate cupcake? He said, nope. (laughs) Smothered in chocolate. I didn't have to teach him that. It came natural to him, right? Nobody had to teach me to lie. Nobody had to teach me to steal. Nobody had to teach me to be prideful. That just came natural. Why? Because man is sinner, is a sinner by nature. Now, before you get up, so are you, right? Don't get, like, thinking... Isaiah writes, all we like sheep have gone astray. You see, not only are we a sinner by nature, but we're a sinner by choice. We choose to sin. That's what we did. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because I'm you. Look at the trajectory of your life. Look at the ways in which the decisions you made and the lines you've chosen to cross. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. And so that is the very thing that condemns us before God. And that's what makes us in need of forgiveness, of salvation. But we don't have the tools to do that in and of ourselves. And so Christ came. Man is as bad off as he possibly could be. And so Christ Christ stepped into our situation, our decadent moment, and saved us. You say, yeah, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not that bad. Well, compared to who? I mean, compared to Hitler, you might be a rock star. Compared to me, you might be a rock star. But compared to somebody else, who is maybe perhaps more moral or more disciplined or whatever, I won't throw names out, but maybe compared to somebody else, you might find yourself wanting. And so when you say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm really, because I have this conversation with people oftentimes in this idea of trying to understand the fact that you know, you're a sinner. No, 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 I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not great, I get, I'm not perfect, I get that, but I'm really not that bad. Compared to who? You see, and that, and that becomes the problem. The question is, what are we comparing ourselves to? What's, what's the standard? What's the expectation? And, and, and who sets that expectation anyway? You see, if you compare yourself to Hitler, then, then maybe, maybe you're doing okay. But what if you're to compare yourself with Jesus? Oh, come on. Well, that's not, that's not realistic. Oh, but that is the standard. And that's the standard that God set. It's his rules. It's his world. It's his way. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48, here's the standard. Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. You say, that's just, that's just not fair. Doesn't matter if you think it's fair. That's the standard that God sets. He makes the rules. You say, but yeah, that's, that's just impossible. Yes, 
It is impossible for you and for me. In fact, the law demonstrates the fact that it is completely impossible. And only when I understand how impossible it is does it cause me to look somewhere else for a solution. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, he became the solution for you and for me. Christ came born of a virgin. So he was not a sinner by nature. He fulfilled the entire law of God. At no point did he ever fail to fulfill the law of God. And so he was not a sinner by nature. He certainly was not a sinner by choice. Christ is set apart as the only one who is not a sinner by nature or by choice. And if you think it's not fair that Christ, that Adam's sin was passed on down to you, you don't have to raise your hand, but do you ever have that, that thought? Like, well, that just doesn't seem fair. I mean, like, I wasn't in the garden. I wouldn't have done that. Yes, you would. And so would I. How do you know that? Because we do it all the time. We disobey God all the time. And so he was our representative. And if you think that's unfair, here's something that's really unfair. That I who violated the law of God, I who was guilty, my, my, my disposition before God, which was dead and was lost, Christ came and took the punishment that I rightly deserved upon himself. And instead of judging me, instead of condemning me, instead of sending me to an eternity in hell, he forgave me. And even more than forgiving me, he clothed me in that one thing that I lacked the most, the righteous standard that God required, the righteousness of Christ. And I stand clothed in his righteousness. Listen, that is not fair. That is not fair. That is grace. God's unmerited, unearned favor given to us so that we would avoid this place called hell, a place created for the devil and his angels, a place that Jesus said the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched, a place of utter darkness, a place of total separation from God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That is the destination of every man, of every woman, of every demon of hell, but every man and every woman that does not embrace the work of Christ on the cross as the only means of their salvation. Can you understand now why Paul was emphatic about now changing the gospel? It is the only way that man might find right standing before God. I died to the law, he said, that I might live to God. 
And then he says in verse 20 of chapter, of chapter two, my favorite pa- passage of scripture, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I live, I, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. No passage in, in my estimation, no passage in the scripture better communicates the reality of the believer today. I have been crucified with Christ. Have you been crucified with Christ? Do you see yourself as the recipient of that great gift of Christ going on on your behalf and being crucified for you and with you? He says, as a result of that. You see, you can't, be cruci- you can't be crucified in Christ and still live, right? You can't, it's like saying, so I died and then I live. No, I've been crucified with Christ. He says, look, it is no longer I who live. That old nature, that person that died, that person that was condemned, that person that was guilty, that person was put on the cross in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but something lives. What lives? It is Christ's life being lived out through me. That is the picture of Christianity, that that we are people whose lives died and were risen together in newness of life. That is a beautiful picture of baptism, by the way. In baptism, there we stand in the waters of baptism, and we are literally crucified in Christ is the symbolism that's going on. We are dying to our old self and being renewed. We are being risen to newness of life. And so what does it look like for a Christian? It means that we no longer live for us. We no longer are the center of our universe. We are not the ones that are always needing to be the receiving end of every good and wonderful thing. Christ becomes the priority, not me. Christ becomes the one I look at, not me. The believer that has embraced Christ, their life is a reflection of Jesus in the world around them. The life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A great question to ask yourself is, does my day-to-day life reflect the life of Christ? Am I living for me? Or am I living for Jesus? I'm a happily married man of 25 years. Isn't that great? And I like to think everywhere I go, especially when I travel, that the fact that I'm a happily married man is seen in the way in which I live my life. Got my wedding ring on, I make sure conversations always revolve around my family, my wife, the joy that I have in, 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 in being in, in such a beautiful marriage. The fact that I talk about it and highlight it, that's not what makes me married. Um, It reveals that I've been married. And you see, as a Christian, my life needs to reflect the Christ that died for me. 
my life needs to look in such a way that people recognize Jesus has done something in their life. I don't want, imagine I was out there traveling and, and like, you know, the, the wedding ring was off and I'm hanging out with the guys and we're joking around, flirting with the girls and everything looks like a single guy before Christ. Imagine the conflict that would be. And yet we see that in Christians today. I'm a Christian. I just look like everybody else, act like everybody else, go where everybody else goes, does what everybody else does, but I love Jesus. Please show me anywhere in the scripture where that's substantiated. You see, our actions aren't what save us, our action reveal whether we've been saved. Our fruit is extremely important, and that's, that's what Paul is talking about here. Hey, I've been crucified with Christ. It's, it's Tony Balsamo doesn't live anymore. But this new creation, Christ ought to live and be seen in my life. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Galatians 22, verse 21, he says, he wraps up this story. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This word nullify is a Greek word. The Greek word is atheteo. It means to reject or declare as invalid. In other words, I'm not declaring as invalid the grace of God. But you are when you hold to a work's salvation. He says if, if, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ would have never had to come. I mean, that's always my question for people is, so wait a minute, if, if, if all I've got to do is jump through all these hoops and you know get baptized and confirmation and communion and pop, 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 do all these little things. That's all I gotta do and you're gonna give me what I need? Then why did Jesus come, by the way? And that's what he's saying here. If the law can do it, if a bunch of rules can do it, Christ died for no purpose. And he's saying, you Galatians that are, that are turning to the law, a law that is incapable of reconciling you back to God, if the law can reconcile you back to God, then Christ should have never bothered coming. But he did come. And he came for a purpose. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I like what Paul says, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, not by Christ, not in Christ, but with Christ. In other words, when Christ was crucified, it's as if I was crucified as well. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How did he do that? I didn't earn it. God's unmerited favor, grace. It's the most important truth that any human being that ever walked the face of the earth can wrap their arms around. Because what we do with Jesus will affect our eternal destination. Jesus said, I am the way I'm the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father 
but through me. And so if there's anything we want to get right in this life, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not the commentary of by a man, but by God's word himself. Let me just end it with these passages of scripture in Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five, Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. How do we rejoice in hope? How do we gain access? It is through the grace of God, by faith in Jesus Christ, apart from any works that we can produce. Since therefore, he says in verse nine of chapter five, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That's what we're saved from, right? When we talk about this idea of being saved, what are we saved from? We're saved from the wrath of God. Man is born under the wrath of almighty God. John writes, he that has the son has life, but he who has not the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides, it remains, it continues to be upon him. And Christ came and shed his blood, and if his blood can justify us, surely it will save us from the wrath of God. Look at verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, whose man? Adam's, right? Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, which is exactly what we saw, right? That sin nature passed on down to Adam. That's why we got all this decadence in the world and all the sin in the world, right? If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. In this, if, if, listen, if Adam can mess it up, Jesus can fix it. That's my commentary on that passage right there. He is able to reverse the curse and change what was lost in the garden, and he did it by the shedding blood on the cross of Christ. Therefore, as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, Christ's work on the cross, the only means it leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Again, speaking of Adam, he's contrasting the two Adams here. If by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Jesus fixed. Jesus came to our rescue. He reverses the curse in the garden. So when our justification, our standing before God has nothing to do with what we've done. It has everything to do with what Christ has done. It's the free gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, the scripture says. Let's bow our heads.
Maybe you're here this morning and you have never asked Christ to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you're watching on TV, you're on social media, you're wherever you're listening to this, and you've never come to that place in your life where you recognize your need for a savior. Today is the day of salvation. Christ has done everything you need to receive life today. What does a prophet a man, the scripture says, if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Christ came that we might have life. The enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And as Christians are praying, and if there's anybody that you've not made yourself right with God, don't leave this place, don't turn this thing off until you've asked God to forgive you of your sins. Solely on the merits of what Christ has done for you. You say, how do I do that? Well, you, you can just pray with me and there's nothing magical about this prayer, but I believe with all my heart that if you mean it in your heart, God will hear you and you'll be forgiven and the gift of new life will be yours. If we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the scripture says you'll be saved. And so if that's you, let's ask you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you came to the earth and lived a sinless life. And you died for sinners. I'm a sinner. I ask that you forgive me my sins. I ask that you wash me in your blood. I repent, I turn from my wicked ways and I turn to Jesus as the only means of my salvation. Come into my life, be my Lord and my Savior. In Christ's name I pray, amen.